Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Topics on today's episode include the National Association of Realtors lawyering up, my interview with Vizio Lending's Jeff Ball on trends in DSCR loans, and benchmark yields hit levels not seen since the financial crisis. Thanks to today's podcast sponsor, Vizio Lending. Vizio is the nation's premier lender for buy and hold investors with over $2.5 billion closed loans for single-family rental properties, including vacation rentals. Vizio is fast, simple, and dependable when it comes to financing rental properties. They believe time is money and strive to be upfront and consistent about their qualifications. Using a simple DSCR rather than a complicated NOI calculation, there are no tax returns or personal financial statements, and the pricing is set, so you always know your rate. Learn more, including about Vizio's top-notch broker program, at VizioLending.com. Have you heard about the latest potential case that not only real estate agents are following, but lenders as well? The Department of Justice is considering filing an antitrust suit against the National Association of Realtors centered on NAR's participation rule and the clear cooperation policy, which governs broker commission agreements. At present, DOJ has appealed a court decision requiring it to adhere to a settlement reached with NAR and approved by a court. It's unclear if the Department of Justice will initiate a new antitrust lawsuit while the prior case is still pending. Should NAR prevail on appeal, it could negatively influence a separate DOJ antitrust lawsuit. Whether it's another Department of Justice lawsuit or a civil lawsuit, it's clear that decoupling broker commissions is a likely outcome, especially in light of NAR's recent policy change permitting listing brokers to not compensate buyer brokers. Last week, it was reported that the Real Estate Board in New York will prohibit listing brokers from paying buyer brokers beginning January 1, 2024. The end result of decoupling broker commissions is likely higher upfront costs for home buyers. It's also expected to reduce the number of licensed real estate agents in the U.S., which I recently learned is about 1 in 100 people, or 3 million. If first-time homebuyers are affected and there are less real estate agents, then it could result in fewer annual home sales. NAR settlement with DOJ may stand. In 2020, NAR and the Department of Justice reached a settlement on NAR's participation rule and the clear cooperation policy. In 2021, the Department of Justice notified NAR that it was withdrawing from the settlement. NAR sued the Department of Justice, and in 2023, the district court agreed with NAR nullifying the Department of Justice's revised Civil Investigative Demand, or CID, and required the Department of Justice to abide by the 2020 settlement. The DOJ appealed the decision, and the case is currently in process. The appeal has been fully briefed, and oral arguments have been scheduled for Friday, December 1st. In 2022, NAR changed its multiple listing policy, handbook, in accordance with the 2020 settlement. It was reported that NAR changed its policy again in 2023 to permit listing brokers to offer buyer brokers $0. Buyers may have to pay broker commissions. At present, the listing broker usually splits the commission 50-50 with the buyer broker. The NAR policy change and pending lawsuits could result in buyer brokers having to be compensated directly from the home buyer. At present, the buyer broker fee is rolled into a mortgage, which does not appear to be permissible and have implications for loan-to-value calculations. It's estimated that a home buyer would have to pay a broker $2,500 to $6,000 depending on the buyer broker commission and the home price, which would be in addition to the down payment of 5 to 20% and would represent an increase in cash due at closing of 5 to 
For first-time homebuyers who would plan to make a down payment of 5%, the increase would represent an increase of 20 to 30% of the down payment for a commission of 1% to 1.5%. This could reduce the price a buyer can pay for a home or require them to wait before purchasing in order to save additional funds. The realtors we spoke to indicated that this change would likely have an adverse impact on first-time homebuyers. NAR faces multiple commission-related lawsuits. NAR's June 2023 legal update lists several private suits that are currently in process, including the Mowry and Burnett lawsuits, and expectations are that the decision will be appealed regardless of which party wins or loses. For today's interview, I want to welcome back onto the show Vizio Lending's Jeff Ball to talk about trends in DSCR loans. As CEO of Vizio, he's responsible for setting Vizio's overall strategy and direction. Prior to forming Vizio Lending, he founded Vizio's predecessor company, Econo Homes. He also served as the global head of semiconductor investment banking at J.P. Morgan, where his clients included some of the largest technology companies in the world, such as Intel and Texas Instruments. He's also been a corporate securities attorney at Gray, Carey, Ware, and Friedenreich, now DLA Piper. I wanted to start by kind of talking about rental loans versus primary residence uh, lending. And it's become important because Fannie Mae's LLPAs over the last year or two, they essentially said, we're not going to subsidize people to have these second homes or rental homes. We're going to start hitting them with big fees. So can you talk about the overall market for rental loans and, and what we've seen in, in 2023? What, what kind of, what's kind of going on there? I mean, as we came into 2023, obviously with rising rates, the expectations were we were going to see significant pressure in the market on uh, home prices and you know, inflation was up. And so, you know, I think everybody was expecting 2023 originations were going to be pretty difficult across the board, whether consumer or investor or second home. You know, what we've seen is demand in the investor DSR space is actually held up pretty well. And I think uh, a lot of that's driven by what you just mentioned. You know, the agencies have uh, largely stepped back from financing second home and investment properties. And then also, you know, what's been happening, you know, in the banking space, you know, the bank portfolio product also is not readily available for uh, single family investment properties because many of the smaller uh, local regional banks that uh, had been had portfolio products for investors, you know, they're just full up on their commercial exposure. And so they've stepped back. And so what we've seen is demand has held up pretty well in the investor DSCR space over the course of this year. And, um, you know, that's been a, a nice surprise. So all, all week on the podcast here, I've been talking about how Vizio uses a simple DSCR rather than a complicated NOI calculation. Can you explain the, the difference between those two for listeners? Sure. A simple DSCR calculation, we're going to look at the principal interest taxes um, insurance association dues, and we're going to compare that to the rent um, that can be generated on a monthly basis. And that rent is typically either taken from the actual rent or the appraised rent. Um, and so, you know, unlike a full NOI that would take into account vacancy rates, um, reserves for um, capital improvements, um, those sorts of things. 
the DSCR calculation is much more simplified um, fashion and and often relies on assumptions such as rent coming out coming out of an appraisal. Um, so you know a DSCR calculation I would just say is a um, is a shorthand version to get to something that uh, serves as a proxy for an NOI, uh, but it definitely makes the process quite a bit simpler and importantly. From a documentation perspective, DSCR loans, um, you don't, we don't require tax returns and we don't require personal financial statements. So um, unlike with an NOI where a lender might go in and try to tick and tie all of the various assumptions that get you to that net operating income on a DSCR loan, it's a much more simplified documentation process. And so I, this is a very layman question I'm about to ask you, but if I'm a borrower with a, a 680 credit score that makes 40 grand a year, how different is my underwriting on a DSCR loan than a, a 760 FICO borrower that makes 250 grand a year? So the underwriting isn't actually any different uh, based on your personal income or your credit score. Um, your rates and terms may be different in terms of uh, the, the rate that you pay as well as the maximum loan to value that you can achieve with the higher credit score uh, being able to access um, a higher loan to value. But the underwriting itself is the exact same, uh, regardless of your personal income level or your credit score. Most lenders require a minimum credit score. You'll see in the DSCR space, some lenders go down to about 640. We're limited at 680. Um, most of the investor DSCR originations that get done, um, you know, probably 85% of them are at a 700 credit score or above. And can you talk about general pricing and fees in the, the space? This is one of the most interesting aspects. You know, we came into this space in 2015. We've now done over 10,000 investor DSCR loans. And I would tell you, really, over the vast majority of that time period, uh, investor DSCR loans would have been at least 200 basis points more expensive than a consumer 30-year mortgage loan, 200 to 250. Right now, uh, rates and fees are very close to where you would see on a 30-year consumer loan. Um, so rates in the market right now are on an investor DSCR loan are typically in the high eights um, with fees of a point or less. And you see 30-year fixed consumer loans being quoted right around 8%. They may be a little bit below that today. Um, but so that gap has shrunk from 250 basis points to something much closer to 100. And uh, I think I would attribute that to, to two things. First, there's been many new entrants into the investor DSCR space. Uh, and so uh, competition is high. Um, and I think the second consideration is, uh, you know, investor DSCR loans, almost all of them have some level of prepayment uh, protection in them. Uh, agency uh, investor loans do not. And so those prepayment penalties are valuable in the secondary market. Uh, and you see a whole host of different options there on prepays. But, you know, at this point, the, the spread between an investor DSCR loan, I would say an investor DSCR loan is no more expensive and maybe less expensive than an agency investor loan. And is right now within 100 basis points of a consumer, a fully underwritten um, agency consumer loan. So last week I was in Philadelphia for the MBA annual conference and a, a big point of chatter in the mortgage industry is how companies are diversifying their product mix to help capture more and more borrowers because loans are scarce out there. 
for the general industry. What's the product mix like in the, the rental space or your product mix like specifically at Vizio? So we only do one thing. We do invest for DSCR loans. So we're a bit unique um, from that perspective in that we don't offer a, kind of a catalog of product to um, consumers and investors. But within investor DSCR, there's still a product mix there. Um, you, you have products that finance long-term rentals, that typically the type of rental that we would live in, products that uh, finance short-term rentals, uh, Airbnb, VRBO properties. Uh, and then within that, you have further diversification of you have interest-only structures. And one of the most interesting trends right now is we're seeing an increasing amount of usage of investor DSCR loans as bridge loans. Um, again, almost all investor DSCR loans have a prepayment penalty in them, um, but they typically range from uh, very few have no prepayment penalty, but some do. Um, up to usually about five years. And so with prepayment structures of kind of a one, two, or a three-year type term, we see an increasing number of investors using investor DSCR loans for bridge situations. Um, they get the benefit of a full 30-year term. They're probably going to get better rates and, and lower fees. They probably will get higher LTVs, but the trade-off is, is that the property typically needs to be rent-ready uh, and it also needs to to cash flow to some level of debt service coverage. Another thing I've talked about on the podcast all week has been your broker program, which I, which I really do want to talk about with you today because I know I certainly have brokers in my audience. Can you talk about how you're you're helping brokers out here? How you're catering to brokers? Why they should work with you? So brokers, you know, in the past, uh, brokers, it was a, a sliver of the brokerage world that actually focused on investor loans and particularly investor DSCR loans. I think, as you just said, everybody now is trying to find ways to make a living. And so investor DSCR loans have held up well, and an increasing number of brokers are now venturing into this space. And they're finding out that it, it can actually be a great space because the customer's um, often are repeat customers. Most investors own multiple properties. And so, um, you know, developing relationships with investors can actually build you a bit of an annuity type business. And importantly, investors kind of run in packs. They know each other. And so once a broker gets one customer and if they deliver a good experience to that customer, they can find additional customers often through referrals. And But one of the challenges is investor DSCR loans, is they're pretty different from a consumer loan. You're often lending to an entity. Um, you've got to be you know, familiar with the unique aspects of insurance related to these properties. Um, they've got personal guarantees. There's more title issues. So there's some unique aspects to it. And so what we do is we keep the broker's workload very low. Um, we actually do all of the processing internally um, so that, you know, we ask um, a small amount of the brokers, which uh, is, is helpful to them because they don't have to become experts in investor DSCR to be successful. And then we allow brokers um, to actually earn money both on the front end in terms of fees, but also through um, uh, YSP. So they can also get paid on the back end. And so from uh, the perspective of, you know, brokers who work with us, they're getting somebody who, again, we only do one thing. We've done it over 10,000 times. I um, mean, we keep the workload very, very low. And so that that makes the barriers to entry for a broker who's now venturing into the space for the first time pretty low. And I want to close, I'm going to kind of combine your last two points here, by talking about some of the challenges 
in the space or for Vizio specifically? What's your competition like or in general, what are the, the hurdles out there? So there's been a number of uh, conduits who've now entered into the space who are trying to aggregate investor DSCR loans. And as, as more conduits, you know, emerge, um, you know, they provide fuel to a, a greater number of originators. Uh, and so we are seeing uh, an increased number of originators venturing into the investor DSCR space. You know, I, I think some with varying degrees of success, um, but either way, it does create some messiness in the marketplaces. Um, you know, folks try to figure out pricing and, and really attach that back to the, the end pricing, which takes place in the bond market. You know, with the, the level of volatility in the bond market, um, pricing has been challenging uh, over the past 12 months, getting it right um, and getting folks hedging strategies right. So, We've certainly seen competitors come into the market. We've seen some uh, have success. We've seen some exit. Um, but you know, one of the main hurdles I think facing the space right now is again, as I talked about how the DSCR is calculated. One of the inputs in that is insurance costs, and I think you know most people across the country are experiencing increased uh, insurance costs. And a lot of the investor DSCR loans take place um, are originated in Florida and California. Um, and some of the other markets that are experiencing, you know, above average insurance cost increase. So, you know, that is putting pressure on debt service coverage ratios. Um, it's another consideration that's probably putting uh, pressure on uh, the pricing of rental properties. And so I think that's something, you know, that uh, that along with high interest rates, you know, that puts a cap on um you know exactly how many investor DSCR loans can be done, um, and at at what max loan to value. So, uh, you know, I think this is uh, you know we'll see the the competitive landscape um, shake out here over the next uh, twelve months, and and I do think in Florida and some of the other states, you know, they're obviously acutely aware of the issues that are being created by um, some of the kind of you know. Uh, malfunctions in the insurance markets in those states. And so, um, yeah, I'm hopeful that we'll see some improvement and resolution on those fronts as well. Very quickly before I let you go, because I'm going to send this podcast to a bunch of my friends who dream of owning homes or owning rental properties, but they don't have the the down payment or they can't afford the the property that they would like. What are the common hiccups for you know it sounds sounds too good to be true in a lot of ways hey you can go buy this this duplex or quadplex and as long as the dscr calculations are fine basically anybody can become a property owner am i am i uh oversimplifying that is i mean it sounds fantastic i don't think you're oversimplifying the borrowing process um clearly owning investment properties uh there's more to it than uh than a lot of folks think. And so, you know, owning investment properties isn't for everyone. Um, but investor DSCR loans actually do, do remove a lot of the complications associated with the financing of investment properties. Internally, we talk about trying to take a variable and turning it into a constant. Um, and what we mean by that is uh, we want to enable our clients to know the, the type of financing that they have at their fingertips so that they can use that as a constant input in their model as they evaluate investment properties. And so that's how we approach um, you know, our rate sheet and how we approach interacting with our customers is we want them to know that uh, upfront what type of financing they can obtain so that they they can, you know, 
go out and shop with confidence and, and execute their investment strategy. Very well put. Jeff, I really enjoyed this. A lot of valuable info. And like I said, I'm going to send this to a bunch of my friends that talk to me about getting in the game. So thank you very much. And, and thank you for making uh, rental property lending possible with uh, Vizio Lending. Robbie, my pleasure. We enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Federal deficit nearly doubled in fiscal 2023, reaching $2.02 trillion. The increase is cited as one of the drivers of rising treasury yields and worsening MBS prices, with the 10-year yield surpassing 5% Monday for the first time since 2007. The federal deficit is just part of the interest rate equation. Even with investor interest currently focused on corporate earnings from Wall Street, there's also been a shift from how high should rates go to how long will rates be kept that high, as those in the mortgage industry hope that higher for longer isn't as long as previously forecast. Fed funds futures are pricing in one more rate hike thrown in for good measure. The FOMC is expected to leave the target range for the federal funds rate unchanged at the conclusion of its meeting on November 1st, but will continue to indicate that some additional policy tightening may be appropriate. That's before three rate cuts are priced in by markets by the end of 2024, but events in the Middle East can upset any predictions, and don't forget that the market's been terribly wrong when it comes to the Fed for the past 18 months. Even before U.S. Treasuries recoup some ground after earlier surpassing 5% for the first time in 16 years, some of the market's most prominent bond bears said that the recent route in Treasuries had gone too far. For what it's worth, some market watchers have said that 10-year yields pushing up towards 6% isn't out of the question. Regardless, this renewed bout of volatility in the bond market is unwelcome for anyone hedging a mortgage pipeline. Today's economic calendar kicked off with mortgage applications decreasing 1% from one week earlier, according to data from MBA. Unsurprising given the recent rise in rates. Later today brings new home sales for September, treasury auctions of $26 billion of two-year FRNs and $52 billion of five-year notes, and remarks from Fed Chair Powell. We begin the day with agency MBS prices roughly unchanged from Tuesday's close, and the 10-year yielding 4.86 after closing yesterday at 4.84%. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. Halloween was approaching, and in a dark and hazy room, peering into a crystal ball, the mystic delivered grave news. There's no easy way to tell you this, so I'll just be blunt. Prepare yourself to be a widow. Your husband will die a violent and horrible death this year. Visibly shaken, the lady stared at the woman's lined face, then at the single flickering candle, then down at her hands. She took a few deep breaths to compose herself and to stop her mind racing. She simply had to know. She met the fortune teller's gaze, steadied her voice, and asked, And will I be acquitted? <laughs> Thanks again to today's podcast sponsor, Vizio Lending, and its top-notch broker program. Vizio is the nation's premier lender for buy-and-hold investors, with over $2.5 billion closed loans for single-family rental properties, including vacation rentals. Learn more at VizioLending.com. If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at Robbie at RobChrisman.com. Visit RobChrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcasts from.